live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, before you leave, I, I take this morning, take my dog into the vet. Just had a regular, needed like some vaccination or something like that. Okay. Just a regular thing. So you go, it's only a 10-minute appointment. The the technician comes out and takes the dog and then had to take her in the back because they were going to do a little blood draw or something just because they do some routine checkup. Then she comes back into the room and she says, oh, your dog dog's a trooper. She says, then says, can I ask you something? And, and well, that's exactly right. It's it's and, and, and then it's like oh, okay. And then she and then of course when they say can I ask you something, then she follows up by saying you don't have to answer if you don't want to. And oh, it's kind of like bad. okay, where where? Well, I'm just kind of curious as to where you're going to go. And I said of course you of course you can. And I and and she says well I I listen to your program every day and I was just wondering. Um, do you, does anybody tell you the things that you have to talk about, or do you just get to decide those for yourself? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I, I said, I, look, I've, I've been doing a radio show in this market for going on 25 years now, full or part time. Nobody has ever, ever, ever told me what I have to talk about. So I said, I, I mean, I guess, so I guess if, if you like what you hear, <laughs> you know, you, you can blame me, or if you don't like what you hear, blame me yeah, or give me yeah. credit. Or I said, no, that, that's just not how it works. At least I don't know how it works at other stations, but nobody has ever, ever told me what I have to talk about. And she says, well, that's good. I was, I was just wondering, because sometimes I, I listen to all these different shows, and I wonder if, if the people really believe what they're saying, or they just think that they have to do it. That's interesting. And, and I said, that's fair. I said, no, the truth is, I, I said, again, I, I believe what I'm saying. So that's why on this program, you'll notice sometimes there'd be things that everybody else across the country is have, is discussing, and I'm not because I don't have an opinion on it or I don't think it's interesting or whatever. I said, no, no. So if you like, if you know, one way or the other, I, I can't blame my bosses for this. I, you know, if yeah. you like it or not. Good for you for not faking it. No, I wasn't going to fake it. And she says, she says, well, I, I, I like, I don't always agree with you, but I, I like the show. I said, my husband always agrees with you. Frustrates me. You know? <laughs> so I said, that's, that's great. But no, that's, how that is that's how it works it's just you you get to that's one of the great things about doing this program especially for as long as i have i mean my bosses have always said just you know do what it is what you want to talk about and what you find interesting and i have to tell you this is not we're going to start off the program we've got a lot of stuff to cover on today's program two o'clock early out time because of spring training baseball but i just find this story to be fascinating because it's a matter of essentially of of education in certain respects and it shows how quickly things can in fact change if i say blockbuster video to you okay grew you are you are younger than i am do you, do you remember blockbuster videos do you remember blockbuster videos in their heyday when they were really a big thing and grew says grew says yes all right, blockbuster video. And I, I was having this conversation with a couple people this morning who are substantially younger than me, and they were kind of looking at me blankly, like, blockbuster video. I, I remember hearing something like that, but I, you know, what, what exactly was this? Well, blockbuster video, founded in 1985. Blockbuster video originally started as a way that you could rent movies on either VHS tape or 
or Betamax tape. This is how long it, it goes back. There were those two types of, you know, movies that came out on these two different recording styles. Ultimately, Betamax went the way of the Dodo Bird. VHS survived. But on any given night, and I was trying to explain this to a couple people this morning, on any given night, and I can remember there was a Blockbuster video store just to the south of Bayshore Shopping Center. I lived in Whitefish Bay at the time. And I think the new movies came out on Thursday. They might have come out on Friday. But I'm telling you, the place was packed. You could not get a parking space in this huge parking lot. People would go over. They'd wait for the new releases that came out. They'd rent the movies. And the idea was you rented the movie. You physically picked it up. You took it home. You had a couple days to watch it. And then you dropped it off. And, And it was this amazing business model. To give you an idea on how successful this was, I was sharing this information with Eric and Steve a minute ago. The the heyday, the high point of Blockbuster Video was 2004, which I guess for some people seems like forever ago. Truth is, that was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, the highlight was Blockbuster Video at the time, worldwide had over 9,000 stores. About half of those were in the United States, their employee count in that year worldwide, 84,000 people, 84,000 people working in this, this, I mean, and the model was, okay, you go, you rent, now, first of all, it was VHS tapes, and then they transitioned over to the DVDs and things like that, but you'd rent the movie physically, you'd take it home, you'd watch it, and then you'd, you'd bring it back. 15 years ago, 84,000 employees, 9,000 locations worldwide, 4,500 were in the United States. And we, we kind of, I mean, stepped on the lead a little bit because I said this. Now, there is one blockbuster video left in the world. There used to be two, one in Perth, Australia. That is closed. The only remaining blockbuster video in the world is in Bend, Oregon. And... Uh, the folks have owned, the people that own it have owned the franchise since 2000. They say they don't intend to close it. Apparently, the store has a large collection of Russell Crowe memorabilia, and people come to see the Russell Crowe memorabilia. Don't quite get that, but there is only one blockbuster video store left in the country. And I was explaining this, and I was talking about this with a couple people who are in their 20s who really have no clue as to what this blockbuster thing was and are just just don't understand the fact that you mean people would actually go and they'd rent movies and, and then they'd, they, they'd take them and they'd bring them back and they'd pay money to do that? Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I bring this up because I find it so intriguing because – Blockbuster, to me, is the poster child for what they call the retail apocalypse. This idea that you have these businesses that are just incredibly successful, but that because of changes in technology or the development of the Internet or whatever, the business model can completely and totally disappear. And that's what you saw happen with Blockbuster Video. The technology just outpaced it. You know, nowadays, nobody goes, and I understand that there might be some video stores here and there. I know there's one in West Bend. But as a general rule, nobody goes to rent videos or DVDs or whatever. I mean, what you do is you stream them on your computer or you stream it, you know, through your TV. All those different services. Nobody does this anymore. 
And I think the blockbuster lesson, I don't know if there's anything they could have done to have changed this, but I think you're going to see the same thing happen. I think I think Barnes and Noble, Toys R Us, all these different places, there and you know Barnes and Noble being a classic example of that, I, I think these are other businesses that are just going to disappear. Do you remember how big how big Blockbuster was? And isn't it amazing that it's gone essentially in 15 years? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's talk to Lynn in Grafton. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I used to be the manager at that Blockbusters right by the Rocky Rococo's there. Right, sure. And um, I think what happened was, uh, first, they didn't really jump on the disc thing right away. They kind of, I think... You mean stayed with the VHS too long. Yeah, too long. And then other things started coming, the cable and people staying home. I remember that really, really terrible snowstorm where everything was shut down. I had to get into work because we had to open. We had people coming in on skis and walking, and I am not kidding you. <laughs> no, we I mean, being a business. What was I'm trying? When did the new movies come out? Was it Thursday or Friday? I don't recall. Thursday. Thursday, and I mean, I can remember seriously going to the the, the places which would be packed. You'd have long lines. You'd have lines to get in because everybody wanted whatever those new movies were going to be. Yes, indeedy. I mean, we would have like 20, 30 copies of stuff. It was gone. Boom. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was. You know, what I think what I think really killed Blockbuster, I think you're right, they were slow to respond to some of this stuff, but it was the whole, it was Netflix, it was the whole Red Book thing where people could go to the vending machines and get them like that. It just, they, they were slow to respond to the technology that was out there, I think. Exactly. That is what happened. Wow. It, it was sad. No, thanks for calling. I mean, it's just, but it, it is interesting that this could happen in 15 years, and that's one of the reasons I do this segment because maybe if if you're if you're listening to me and you're 25 years old, you go, I kind of remember this blockbuster stuff, but I don't, I don't get it. And you mean you mean people would actually, you know, physically have to drive to a store in a snowstorm to you know pick up tapes to, that they'd watch these movies, you know, that you couldn't just you know whistle it up on demand and have it there anytime you want to watch it. But it, it shows how fragile these businesses are, and that's the bigger point when it comes to the development of technology. Dustin in Big Ben. Dustin, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, so I used to love going to the Blockbuster on Fridays. Uh, it used to be a thrill, but it was also a bummer when they didn't have those discs <laughs> that you wanted to right. see. Um, and uh, currently, I, I'm a big utilizer of the library system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of the new movies. You know, sometimes you get to wait for a couple weeks just to be able to get them, you know, on your uh, line of you know, uh, people putting a hold on them. Right. Um, but, you know, even in that case, I can go and find an older movie that I don't necessarily want to go and buy, but I know it'll be there. And mm-hmm. um, I guess I just wonder what's going to happen with libraries where they do have budgets set out to purchase things like that and CDs as well. Well, no, you know, it's it's interesting. I have a I have a, a friend who works part time in an area library. Just it's kind of a retirement job that you know that she does gets her out of the house and she and that that's I, I'm I'm curious as to how libraries get used. And what she tells me is that some of their biggest uses nowadays. Number one, people come in to you know use the computers that are there, and number two, people 
yeah, they still take out books, but more likely, they exactly what you're talking about, they take out whether it's video games or they, they check out the different movies that they have. And they're not the most current movies, but what the heck? You know, who, who cares? If you haven't seen the movie, it's still great. You can get it from the library. Exactly. No, thanks for calling. But it's it, it, it just it is a demonstration of how, again, quickly technology changes and makes various things obsolete. And so you have all these businesses that just kind of wrestle with it. I mean, you know, Blockbuster is the service type of thing. But I mean, think of the different iterations that Blockbuster went through. It started out with Betamax. All right. And, and again, unless you're walking through the Smithsonian, there's a lot of people who have no idea what Betamax is or even the VHS tapes, you know, and then it went to the DVDs. Well, the whole VHS thing, you know, that that was great for as long as it lasted. But now now that's, you know, anybody that had VHS tapes, if you still have any of those, you're a dinosaur. Let's talk to Tony and Mequon. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Hi, Tony. Jeff, don't forget to tell the youngins that you had to pay a fine to rewind the tape <laughs> if you didn't rewind it. Right. Remember, what was their slogan? It was like, be kind, rewind. Right. Right. I think you had to pay like four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, well, do you remember just how big Blockbuster was? I mean, just going there and the place was packed all the time? It, it was huge. We went to the one on Brown Deer Road. Okay. And then um, I got to tell you, too, there was a bowl. They sponsored a bowl game in them, in them times, too. Right. That's how big that company was. Yeah, and it just, I mean, thanks to call, and it's just, I mean, completely gone. And, you know, gone relatively overnight. Now, I mean, I, I, you know, 2004 was the high point as far as stores and stuff, but I mean, it just shows how all this stuff changes. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I will tell you that one of the reasons I was thinking about this is, we have all this stuff. We have a big basement. We have all this stuff in our basement. My darling wife has been spending some time cleaning this out. And I have all these, you know, DVDs, all these movies and stuff that are just like sitting. I, I moved them from my Whitefish Bay house. They're sitting in these uh, giant plastic containers. And she said last night, look, figure this out. Are you really going to watch these ever again? Because that's not how you, you know, consume stuff anymore. And if you're not, should we? Donate them to a library or something like that. It's silly to have these things just collecting dust downstairs. And she's right. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I think one thing that these stores could try is to maybe push the the social activity in their stores a little more. Mm -hmm. um, Because people who do sit at home and order stuff online will get cooped up and they will want to go out and do stuff eventually. Yeah. Like, I went to a Barnes & Noble once, right. and they had a guest speaker there, and that place was absolutely packed. Right. That, so, I think that's they, what you have to do. Become kind of like the the community center, so it's not just you're the store selling books. You're, you're also where people go for all this other stuff, and hopefully people will also buy books when they're there. Absolutely. And I went to a Clark Howard Howard event once where he was he was at a store signing mm-hmm. autographs and that place was absolutely crowded. And I'm sure that generated some business there. Yeah. yeah I mean, thanks. For call. I mean, th- those are the things you have to do. But you're always going to have the special author signings. But it's a day to day thing. In, in any event. Um, yes, yes, Virginia, there was this thing called called a blockbuster at some point in time. And it was a big deal. But but no more. One store left. All right, when we come back, there's a teacher out in Madison who I think is getting a raw deal, a follow-up on something we talked about a week or two ago. Stick around. 
This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so so last night we, we had something to do with the, the church we go to, but after that I came back and I watched the, the second part, or at least the last half of that second part of the Leaving Neverland thing, the Michael Jackson stuff, and I we talked about this a couple days ago, and I understand that there's some people out there who just can't believe that Michael Jackson did anything wrong at all. How could you say all these things? I'm telling you, you watch this, do- you watch this documentary and you watch these guys who are talking about how they were abused and you see all the photographs that they had and all this. And, and it's clear that Michael Jackson, at least in my opinion, w- was a monster. The other, the other thing though that is just so incredibly bizarre about this is they have the parents of the children who were molested and, and they're on there. Now, Eric Bilstead, you are a father. I, I understand it's a superstar like Michael Jackson, but th- this, there is, there is no, to the extent that there's any disagreement about what Michael Jackson did when he slept with the seven-year-old boys, there is no question at all that these parents would get invited over to the Jackson residence and they would let their seven-year-old boy yeah. children sleep yep. in the same bed as he did while they slept in other parts of, of the house. And, they, they and would nobody, even... right? Nobody disagrees with that, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what type you know i mean and i'm watching these parents and the, and the parents are trying to kind of justify it well you know he manipulated us etc cetera, etc cetera. to me it was the, these parents just pimped out their kids i mean they this was this was their opportunity that he's going to make them a star and he's a multimillionaire and but cuz what parent lets lets their 7 year old child sleep with a 34 year old man i was trying to think of the comparison to nowadays because you know the king of pop i mean that was when michael jackson was right the man like right. this is happening right after, is, this is yes. right around the the bad out where mm-hmm. he was as big he was as, as big a superstar as you could possibly imagine. and you're right no they they fell for it they they liked this idea of their kids hanging out with the king of pop and the money and the fame that could come with that they clearly were victims to that, you know, right. that well, siren song. Right. Well, yeah, and, and I guess it's one thing famous. to have, okay, your kid, your seven-year-old, your eight-year-old hang out with the king of pop. It's another thing when, gee, can I sleep in Michael's bed? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I mean, that, I, and, and you watch this thing, and it's just jaw-dropping watching all the people try to make excuses. But I, I, I will say this. It is very, very difficult to watch. It is incredibly graphic. The victims, they talk in great detail. I mean, it is very explicit detail. So my wife watched 15 minutes of it so i can't watch this yeah, anymore it's, because it's, it's the, it, it is i've now watched the entire thing i i reiterate what i said on the radio the other day i will never spend a dime another dime in my life on anything michael jackson related i we we saw the vegas show that they had at mandalay bay never ever again um but it's it's really i guess you could watch it and decide for yourself whether you think these guys are telling the truth my answer is they are you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase is brought to you by Serta Pro Painters. Serta Pro Painters, like they say, they do painting, you do life. All right, I want to I want to revisit a story we talked about about a week and a half ago because there is a new development. And I got to tell you, I think this teacher is getting the shaft. Now, we, we have become... In in this country, in general, and in some areas in particular, we have become, I, I think, obsessed with race to a point that is completely and totally unhealthy. 
Madison is an area where the Madison School District has just been completely and totally embroiled in one controversy after another involving interactions between staff members and black students. Well, there was a hearing of the school board that it got so volatile that they had to like adjourn it and end up going into closed session because you had all these people who were storming there and they were protesting the way an 11-year-old girl African-American girl was treated by a, a white teacher who happened to actually be like the, the dean of students. And they were demanding that the teacher be fired, et cetera, et cetera. They were demanding that charges be issued. This was just terrible. It was another one of these examples of how, uh, again, people are being oppressed in, in the school system. And I will tell you, as I was reading about this in the beginning, my 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 BS meter was was going off because it struck me that there must be more to this story than the mother and the grandmother were alluding to or at least acknowledging. Well, all right, what happened now is the district attorney out in Dane County, he just issued a ruling yesterday saying he finds no basis for criminal charges against the teacher that's involved here. He did the school district nevertheless says the teacher is going to be removed from the school. He will not be back. All right, here's what happened. This is February thirteenth. It involves it happens at Whitehorse Middle School. So the girl in question is she's a sixth grader, I believe, at the school. Here here is what the DA's office finds. Now, the original story was, well, the girl was acting up a little bit in class, and the dean of students who was acting as the principal that day came in and punched her and hit her and pulled her hair, and, oh, this was this terrible example of, of abuse. All right, here's what the district attorney's office says their investigation found. The teacher in the classroom said that earlier in the day, this particular girl, sixth grader, had stuck her hand inside the classroom and sprayed Febreze air freshener into the classroom. The teacher, this is what the teacher says, tells the police that she has a fragrance sensitivity and that she closed the door to keep the odor out. But the girl came by and sprayed the room again. Now, let me read in between the lines here. My guess is that this kid knew that the teacher was sensitive to these things, and so that's why she she's doing this, okay? She's sticking the can of Febreze in and spraying it because she knows it's going to annoy the teacher. That is my interpretation of these facts. But the teacher says, all right, this is the way this started. The girl who's not even in the classroom is like spraying the stuff from the outside in. Presumably, I would assume, again, knowing that the teacher was sensitive to this. All right, in the next period, the girl is supposed to be in the class, She arrives late for the class. She's told to go to her seat. She refuses to go to her seat. Again, I'm I'm flashing back to when I was in sixth grade trying to imagine this. She refuses instructions to go to her seat. Instead, she sits with her friends, listening to music and disrupting the class. How would you like to be a teacher involved in this situation? The teacher then calls a special education assistance to the classroom. The kid is so out of control that you need to call somebody to help because you've got those other people in the classroom who are the kids you think that they're trying to learn, but you've got this disruptive, out-of-control 11-year-old. All right, so then the special education assistant comes to the classroom, and she 
sees what's going on in the situation, and then she calls, again, this other administrator. He's acting, I think, as the principal for the day. He's like the dean of students. She calls him to help try to get this girl out of the classroom. So now you have the entire educational process is stopped while you're trying to get this girl out of the classroom who's acting up. They come, and now this was the in the previous story. Apparently, they, they tried. They ask her to leave. She refuses to leave. She just refuses to leave. And so finally, they say, "All right," to the teacher, "You're going to have to move everybody else out. This this cannot go on." At which point in time, the 11 year old says, "Okay, I'm I'm going to leave. I I I will go. The rest of the class doesn't have to go." All right. The the girl says that the school administrator, he pushed her out of the door of the classroom and started punching her. Now, I have to admit, when I first heard this story, I'm thinking, I guess maybe, but color me a little bit skeptical that you have this guy who's all of a sudden just going to start punching this 11-year-old. All right, the, the administrator says, look, here's what happens. We're trying to get her out of the room. As she's leaving the room, she grabs the door of the classroom and tries to slam it shut. He says, I stopped this with my foot. So she's now kind of slammed the door on my foot, and I followed her out of the classroom, and she starts punching me. <laughs> she starts hitting at me. A police officer, this is the story in the paper today, a police officer who first reviewed the video from a camera stationed in the classroom said it was difficult to see what happened from the camera angle, but it didn't appear that <clears throat> that there were punches being thrown too much. The guy says, I was able to see the administrator facing the girl, walking her out of the classroom door to the lockers. Once at the lockers, all right, there, there's clearly a struggle. The other teacher's aide tries to intervene, and all three of them end up falling onto the floor. The police officer says it doesn't look like the administrator flipped the girl over or body slammed her. It looks like they all tripped and kind of fell on top of each other. Other witnesses say at this point, three of the girl's braids, which are like hair extensions, get pulled out. Witnesses say they, they didn't see the man, the administrator, pull on her hair. What we think happened is that as everybody's kind of rolling over, um, the, the girl's braids come loose, and somebody might have caught one, but they're, it's not like he's pulling on the hair. It's like they're all struggling, and they're going down. District attorney says, um, look, um, we, we don't find probable cause to recommend any charges. Regardless... The school district says, we're going to pull this administrator from the classroom. He's not going to be back at that school anymore. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you this, and I, I understand this stuff is very volatile because everybody views it through a racial prism. But at the same time, you listen to this story, and what it strikes me is that you have an 11-year-old kid who is completely and totally out of control and you have multiple administ you got a teacher you've got an administrator and you've got a special education assistant who are all trying to get the train back on track so the teacher can do her job and, and teach and you never like to see physical confrontations i guess going on between you know kids and and administrators and i think as a general rule unless it's a question of self-defense it's always improper to lay your hands on a kid 
you know, in this type of fashion. But at the same time, I see exactly what's happening here. They're trying to get this girl out of the classroom. She is being disruptive. She is essentially refusing to go. She slams the door on the guy's foot. She's moving along at her own pace. They're trying to hustle her along. They get into this struggle, and they all go down. Is that something that you're going to fault the administrator for? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Because regardless of criminal charges, my understanding is they're pulling him from at least this particular Madison school, which suggests that they believe that he and perhaps some of the other people did something wrong in dealing with this arguably out-of-control student. I think the teacher, the administrator, is getting a raw deal. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, Ed in Milwaukee. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. All right, is this teacher, this administrator, getting a raw deal? Uh, I think definitely. Uh, I think most of this goes back to the Obama administration uh, and them stepping into education and discipline and saying, you know, you can't discipline kids, you can't suspend kids. And then all sorts of other organizations get involved in in what should be going on in schools, and we all go in the wrong direction. Uh, I, I think it's insane you know, to to have a situation where a young girl doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to leave the classroom, and and instead of her being forced to leave the classroom, everybody else will leave. Okay, we'll all leave. I mean, that seems nuts to me. Well, well right. No, thanks. And, and of course, then, then you throw in, and, and I mean, look, this has been going on long before Barack Obama was president. That this this has been a trend in modern education for decades, where you you you, you get to a point where you you can't discipline kids for anything they become emboldened and then you add on the extra template of of race now i have to tell you i mean objectively looking at these facts I, I, I firmly believe that race has nothing at all to do with this. By the way, I, I know that the, the male administrator was white. I, I don't know the race of either the classroom teacher or of the, the special assistant, uh, the, ed, the special education teacher who came to the classroom to try to get this under control. I don't know the race of them. But this is not, to me, a, a racial matter. But that's how people want to see it, or at least that's how some people want to spin it. Oh, this is this terrible thing. I mean, I, I get what's happening here. You have have, at least in my opinion, based on these facts, this out-of-control 11-year-old who's wandering around with a can of Febreze spray. She's spraying it in the classroom. Again, my assumption is that she knows the teacher is sensitive to this, so she's doing this, I don't know, to... I don't know, cause discomfort to the teacher. Then she rolls in when it's her classroom. She doesn't sit in her assigned seat. She decides that she's not going to pay attention. I don't have to listen to this teacher. She's going to sit there and listen to music and disrupt the classroom. And then she's going to refuse to leave. And then she becomes the victim when you now have, right, the, essentially the guy that's acting as the principal of the day, the special assistant, the education teacher, and the teacher. Everybody is now stopped, and it all involves around this world where this woman, this 11-year-old girl, is deciding, well, I'm going to be the one that controls all this type of stuff. 
walking out the door. At least the teacher, the administrator says she slams the door on his foot. I mean, she slams the door. He ends up blocking it. I mean, th- this is an out of control kid. And I have no doubt that what happens is at some point in time it gets physical. He probably is trying to get her out of the classroom. Maybe he puts his hand on her shoulder. Maybe he kind of pushes her. She fights back. What 11 year old does this? And of course, you get enabled by these stories where you are suddenly, you're the out of control kid and people want to perceive you as the victim. Bottom line is, none of this happens. None of this happens at all if the kid does what you would expect she is supposed to do in the first place, which is not spray, you know, of air freshener into a classroom in the first place, show up on time for her class, sit where she's supposed to sit, and heaven forbid, sit there quietly and maybe try to learn something where the teacher is trying to teach the curriculum. Well, isn't that, you know... Any of that stuff happens, and you don't have any problems at all, but now it's the kid that's the victim, and now you have all these people protesting in the Madison School Board, oh, this is terrible, and there's this racial component to it and all. Well, maybe what you need to do is get a handle on the out-of-control kids in the first place, and maybe none of the rest of this stuff happens. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I do need to make it clear. Our last conversation, this decision that I'm going to give up, like sweets and stuff for mm-hmm. Lent, it does not apply to anybody else here at Radio City. I bring that up because I got a text from... One of our listeners happens to be a very prominent baker in the area who commercially produces all sorts of stuff that you can buy at all sorts of different places. Sends me a text. Dear Jeff, I was going to drop off my world-famous chocolate chip cookies with chocolate chips and mint Uh, M&Ms at the station tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But after hearing your announcement, maybe I should eat them myself. Good luck. No, No, that's okay. Right. No, (laughs) that's exactly right. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And like I say, this is... It is a unique thing to me during Lent. I'm going to see if I can give up sweets, but that I am not taking my teammates along with me. So if you've got those world-famous chocolate chip cookies with chocolate chips and mint M&Ms, I have no doubt, you, Melissa, that you I, know, they would be well-received at the station. I know. I would probably eat one of those as well. There you go. Yeah. And then you could tell me how good it was. Well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't no, tempt okay. you. No, 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 no that no, would I, be mean. No, I, I can handle that. But okay, I just want to, yes. I, I just for people, I, that, that text came in, it's, oh, I was Maybe we shouldn't bring them. No, bring them for all That's my okay. teammates and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeff has willpower. He can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Or he can't. And then we'll all make fun of him if he fails miserably in that. All right. Speaking of, of the whole sugary things and all, th- this this is an idea that's come out of California, but I think it is going to get traction. And I want to discuss with you whether or not this is something that you think we should do. Obesity is a huge issue in this country collectively, and I am speaking again in general terms, collectively we're too darn fat. Now, they're, they're just, we don't exercise enough. We live too sedentary of lifestyles. And for many of us, we eat too much junk. And you could define junk however you want, whether it's junk food or, or whatever. We, we consume empty calories. We don't get enough exercise. We have obesity. And then, of course, obesity leads to all the related problems, you know, diabetes, pre-diabetes, um, again, the strain on your body from walking around with too much weight, heart disease, all those different types of things. Okay. So here's what they are talking about doing in California. 
they have decided that when it comes to the issue of obesity, the number one cause, or at least the cause that they want to focus on, is sugary soda. Now, I really don't have a, a horse in this particular race because I, I don't I don't drink sugary drinks. I mean, I I drink diet coke, I drink black coffee, I drink beer, I drink bourbon, but I'm I'm not the guy that's pounding down the, the giant Mountain Dews. And even in the context of drinking um, like diet coke, diet soda, and all, and diet coke is my drink of choice. I'm I I just I I never. I don't remember ever buying more, as a general rule, I'm not going to buy more than a 16-ounce cup of that anyways, because if I pound down more than 16 ounces, I'm going to be in, uh, pardon my directness, but I'm going to be peeing all afternoon. That's just kind of the reality. So I'm not the guy that goes in and buys that big gulp. I'm not the guy that goes in and buys the... 32 ounce thing of soda or the 64 ounce thing of soda that's that's just not me well here's what they are looking at doing in california and there's a lot of support for it they would make this a state law that the size of sugary drinks sold in unsealed containers at restaurants and grocery stores would be and convenience stores would be limited to 16 fluid ounces. So you could no longer buy the 32-ounce, like, big gulp cup of soda. Now, you, you could still buy 32-ounce bottles, but this is talking uncapped. So it's like the fountain drinks, okay? You could no longer buy um, sugary drinks sold in unsealed containers, restaurants, convenience stores, grocery stores, that were larger than 16 ounces. Um, the reason they do this is they say there's this been supersized phenomena that has tripled the average size serving of soda over the past two decades. In addition, they would also make it illegal for supermarkets, convenience stores, and retail stores to display sugary drinks near the checkout ca- counter. So, I mean, think about think about you go into the grocery store. And, and yeah, a lot of times they'll have warm soda that'll be in the back of the store. You know, you have the soda aisle. But then when you go towards the front, you know, by the checkout thing, it's not uncommon. You'll see a cooler, and the cooler has all sorts of soda in it, individual bottles of soda. You would no longer be able to sell that individual soda. You wouldn't be able to display it by the checkout counter. Presumably, again, what they're concerned with, I guess, is, hey, this is an impulse purchase. Somebody's coming in, they're buying this other stuff. We want to discourage them from buying the sugary soda. There's other things that they would like to do as well, put a tax on it, um, ban soda companies from offering promotional deals to lower the price of sugary drinks for consumers, etc., etc. But but I want to focus on no no sugary drinks by the checkout counter and a limit on the size of the soda that you could buy at any one time. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this sound like a reasonable position? Let's limit the consumption. Now, by the way, they, they you, there's nothing to stop you from going back into the store. You buy the 16-ounce thing of soda. There's nothing to stop you from going in and, and getting a, a second 16-ounce thing of soda. You just couldn't buy it all at once. Is this, is this government's role? 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Gordon Lightfoot returns to the Paps Theater this summer, June 9th. You could win tickets by listening to my program, playing hits like Sundown, if you could read my mind, and of course, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Gordon Lightfoot is sure to be a summer concert that can't be missed. We gave away the tickets for today. Stay tuned tomorrow and Friday for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. Paul on the North Shore. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the call, Jeff. Sure, Paul. Um, yeah, you know, it's not. I don't think it's government's uh, position anyways, but Talk about cutting off your nose, but your face. Starting with sodas, why don't you start with the venti or the trente, uh triple caramel white chocolate macchiato, iced macchiato <laughs> from Starbucks. Well, right, I mean, or, or. About sugar. Well, right, or, I mean, what about, let's take Starbucks. What about the person that orders the coffee black, but then sits there, you know, and has the thing of sugar out there and pours the sugar into it, you know, directly? I mean, it, that's arguably just as bad, maybe worse, as whatever you're going to get out of a, out of a Mountain Dew. Uh, it's worse. Yeah. I was telling the producer, he said he used to work there. Ask him, I'm sure it's three, four times as worse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all, no, th- I mean, see, that, that's it. I mean, why pick on the big soda? Look, I... I don't want to come here and be a poster boy for, gee, you know, people should be, you know, downing 64 ounces of, of Mountain Dew, you know, in a sitting. But at the same time, I just don't think it's government's role to tell us what we can buy and what we can't buy when it comes to this particular product. And, I mean, I honest to goodness don't understand where you do draw the line. To Paul's point, I mean, what, what, what why, if we're concerned about this, and we're concerned about sugar intake and things like that. Well, what what about the cookies? I mean, why do we allow displays of cookies? Why do you let the cookies up there by the aisle? Why do we allow the Hostess cupcakes? Why do we allow the Ho-Hos? Why would you pick out a particular product, in this case the, the sugary soda, and say, well, you know, we think this is worse than the cans of cherry pie filling or, or whatever? I mean, the truth of the matter is I can see that you have an obesity situation in this country. The way you deal with that is by educating people, but it, it's not by, here, we're not going to let you buy the 32 ounce you know big gulp if you want to buy the 32 ounce big gulp i think that's your choice i think it's even more ridiculous to say well we're not going to allow you to sell soda by the checkout aisles well i mean that look a lot of people you walk into the store you don't want to walk you you want to you want to get your can of soda i was i was just i was thinking about this my wife drinks diet coke not the not the regular coke but she doesn't drink coffee. She she drinks Diet Coke. So we were when we were in Key West week before last, you know, there was a there was a CVS actually that was right across the street from where we were staying and you know, she sent me over one morning to get a couple things of Diet Coke. Well, all right, they they had the Diet Coke display. They had it. You walk in, it's right by the register. You grab a couple of the Diet Cokes, you leave. Why should I have to walk through the entire store to buy this? I mean, I'm in there for the purpose of making this purchase. I think that the retailers should have the ability to decide where they want to put the particular products that they're going to sell the best. 414-799-1620. Michael in Bayside. Michael, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. A couple points. First off, I think it's ridiculous because uh, McDonald's stopped doing supersizes a long time ago. And guess what? Nobody got skinnier. Nobody. Yeah, right. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to McDonald's, you're not going there for health food. You know, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have the French fries and the Big Mac or the quarter pounder with cheese, and it's fine. It's just it's not health food. Right. Exactly. And then the other thing is, these are the same people that are trying to to get us to not drink soda. The same people trying to push weed down our throats. Well, that, that, thanks for the call. That is, and a number of texters are making that point too. There is this, I don't know if it's hypocrisy. I'll just use the word irony that, you know, we have a number of the same people who think, oh, what we need to do is we need to legalize marijuana. By the way, there's this new study out there that talks about in the communities, the states where they've legalized marijuana, the, the number of traffic accidents, drunk driving, uh, impaired driving accidents has gone up dramatically. Gee, what a, what a surprise. More people smoking dope, more people getting behind the wheel of the car. Just, just saying that. But yes, there is, there is an irony that you have a product marijuana, which is incredibly carcinogenic. I mean, the same folks who are trying to get people to stop smoking cigarettes and, oh, you can't smoke cigars, you know, want to say, all right, but let, let's, let's let you smoke marijuana. Now, I understand there's other ways you can take and can buy and consume marijuana, but still, if you're smoking it, it is an incredibly carcinogenic thing. But, but yeah, we're going to encourage you to smoke marijuana, which is carcinogenic, but we don't want you to be able to drink the, the giant uh, thing of, of Mountain Dew. Now, again, I... When it comes to kids, I, if you decide, matter of fact, I know several people who very much limit their kids' intake of, of sodas, and I, I support that. I mean, I, I think that's certainly within your right to say to your kids, look, you know, you're, you're just not allowed to drink the, these sugary sodas, and you're not going to be able, I don't, we're, we're not going to bring Mountain Dew into the house, and I don't want to hear you, you know, going out and consuming Mountain Dew. I mean, my, and, and some people will say, well, that doesn't work. Well, sure it, sure it works. Back, back in the day, I never, I never chewed gum because my mom worked in a dental office. And back in the day, there really weren't that many there weren't that many types of sugar-free gum. There were a couple sugar-free gums, but most of the gum had, had lots of sugar in it. My mom, who worked in a dental office, was appalled at the idea of, you know, chewing gum with all that sugar, you know, on, on your teeth and stuff. And so I was just never allowed to do it. So I, I just never got into, to this gut day, I don't chew gum because I just, I wasn't allowed to do it. And you say, well, what do you mean you weren't allowed to do it? I mean, I wasn't allowed to do it. My mom said, no, you're not allowed to chew gum. So I never chewed gum. So for people who say, well, the parents can tell the kids, I don't want you drinking the sugary soda. They're not going to listen. Nuts to that. I listen to my mom. I mean, it's, I you know, th- that's an issue between, like, the parents and the kids if they're not going to listen. I think you can make strong arguments as to why people shouldn't consume enormous amounts of soda. I just think this is not the role of government to come in and tell retailers how big a cup that you can offer to sell the soda at a fountain drink or where they can display the soda or whether or not Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whatever can offer a promotional deal to the store to sell, I don't know, a 12-pack of Diet Coke for 4 bucks or 3 bucks or whatever. It's just not the role of government, period. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so Cruz, producing the show today and always. Have you done your taxes yet? You have done them. Have you? So do you have the bottom line? Have you sent the money in and stuff like that, or gotten your refund? Have you? Have you sent your taxes in? Okay. All right. So I, I the, the question. Nobody wants to answer direct questions, but the question was a simple one. Have you sent your taxes in? And you say almost. So the answer would be no. You have not done that yet.
All right. Oh, so you owe a little bit of money. All right. No, no. That well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Are you surprised? Did it did it turn out about where you thought it was going to turn out? Did you think you were you didn't think you were going to owe money? And it's worse. Okay. You, all right. Well, I have a theory as to why it's worse. Don't you should not feel bad. Now, I I don't. I don't know what my taxes. I used to do them all myself, and then it started to get a little bit complicated. So now the the I, I have a professional. Laura takes care of my taxes for me, and actually, it's, it's she's found things that I think I would have probably missed over the last couple of years. So I I don't know. I, I bundled up all the stuff about ten days ago and dropped it off with some reason all, and I, I have an idea where it's going to be. Well, I actually don't because things have just changed so dramatically now that there's under the new tax laws there's limits on the amount of I was always used to be able to itemize be, between um home interest and state taxes and things like that I was always able to itemize but I, I also got clipped I used, I used to get clipped by the um alternative minimum tax the AMT which is just an evil thing um I would get clipped by that so now now there's no more AMT for most people I don't think I'm going to get hit by that but also they've capped the amount of deductions the the standard deduction is like 24 or 25,000 dollars and so most people including a lot of folks that used to be able to itemize aren't going to be able to itemize anymore so I don't know exactly how it's going to come down but interestingly one of the big stories there is a lot of people are experiencing sticker shock because they thought their refunds would be bigger or they thought that if they owed money they wouldn't owe as much money as they 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 do and they're surprised at these numbers and people are saying well where's the tax reform well here's here's the thing that apparently a lot of people missed out on when they changed the tax law what also happened was they changed the withholding tables. So employers, and this might not be unique to, to your situation in particular, but employers started withholding less money. So your paychecks ended up, you know, may, maybe it was $10 bigger, maybe it was $20 bigger, et cetera, et cetera. So you got the money up front because they weren't withholding as much. Well, the problem with, I mean, it's, it's, I think actually economists would argue it's a, it's a good thing. Why give the government an interest free loan? But what's been happening for a lot of people is, They've, they've gotten that money every two weeks in their paycheck. So maybe their, their paycheck went up 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever because they changed the withholding tables. Well, now, you know, at the end of the year, they haven't had as much tax withhold over the course of the year. So there, there's not as much money to go back. Now, you, you've got that money during the year. So you're still really probably ahead. But this is causing sticker shock for a lot of people because they're going, wow, I, I thought I was going to get a thousand dollars back and I only got 600 bucks back and the accountants are saying well the reason you only got 600 bucks back is you you got you got money back during the course of the year you just didn't know it because it didn't come in you know one check so I guess the answer to this is if you do your taxes and you've got a surprise or something and you're one of those people who would rather have it come back to you at the end of the year now I would argue that doesn't really make too much sense because all you're doing, if you get a tax refund check from the government, that just means that you overpaid during the course of the year. It means that you gave the government an interest-free loan for the course of, of the year. 
and why would you why would you do that? But I understand there's some people who like to get that big tax return back at the end of the year because it's a form of forced savings or or whatever. So if you get some surprises this year, now that we know how this stuff works, I mean, the way around it is to consider increasing your withholding or something like that. But for a lot of people, the reason they're having the sticker shock and they're saying, oh, I thought this this tax thing was going to help me out. In many cases, it does. But you've already gotten the benefit every two weeks during the course of the year. So something to be mindful of. When we come back, I know it's been bad, but is this just politicians whining? Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. We've got uh, Brewers baseball coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Early start for exhibition baseball. After daylight savings time goes into effect, it changes. And then for the last couple of weeks of spring, tr- spring training, the start time is is at 3 o'clock. So I end up having full shows. But for today, we're out of here at 2 o'clock. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've, I've, my new... My New Year's resolution is try to be much more active on social media involving Twitter, and I, I think I've been doing a pretty good job of it. I give you a head start on the things that we're going to talk about on the program and links to some of the stories that I find to be interesting. In addition, um, if you can't listen to the entire program, go to our podcast page, and you can go to the mobile app page. You can subscribe to the podcast. I know thousands of people do that because I get to see the numbers, and you can you know listen to the entire show at your convenience when you're at the gym later on or whatever, so you can check that out as well. All right. The, the first couple months of winter were pretty benign. The last month and a half or two months have been really, really crummy. I mean, you, you've, we've been in this pattern where you've had snow and bitter cold, and then if it warms up, you get pouring rain and you get 45-mile-an-hour winds, and, and we're stuck in that sort of pattern. Now, it's starting to warm up, but, for example, you know, this weekend they're expecting, you know, three-quarters of an inch of, ra- of rain Saturday night into Sunday, and then 45-mile-an-hour winds. It's just, it's been brutal. And... When you get snowfall after snowfall and no melting and the freezing conditions, keeping the roads clear becomes a very difficult thing because there's only so much that the snow plows can do. It, it's also compounded by the fact that in some urban areas, like particularly Milwaukee, you know, you have people who leave their cars on the streets, they get snowed in, and then they just essentially kind of abandon their cars. So the snow plows really can't get through. I have said repeatedly over the years that I believe we do snow pretty darn well in this area. One of the things that's going on now as a result of all the stuff that's happened over the last several weeks, no no um, thaws, etc., is you now have these huge mounds of, of snow that are all around, makes it difficult sometimes when you're pulling to intersections to navigate. Some streets, uh, because the snow plows haven't been able to clear from curb to curb, some streets, particularly in some of the urban areas, Milwaukee would be a classic example of them, they're not two-way streets anymore. I mean, really, because the, the snow's encroaching, people are parked on one side or the other, you've really got effectively now only one lane, and that's probably not going to change until we get some warm weather. Well, you have a number of aldermen 
who, and there was a big meeting at City Hall today where they were just ripping the Milwaukee Department of Public Works. And if you're a regular listener's program, you know that I have no, there's no love lost between me and the DPW. There, there's just, just not. But there's all these criticisms about how, oh, this is terrible. The DPW is doing a horrible job. They haven't cleared out these intersections. They haven't cleared out the, the street. You have some of them that are blaming this on on the mayor, saying, you know, we don't have enough equipment, and he's got screwed up priorities, which when it comes to the streetcar, he probably does. But I guess I'm trying to be fair. I always try to be fair in these situations, and I don't care where you drive in the community. There's snow all over. It's frozen. There's a lot of it. And it's going nowhere as a practical matter until it starts to get a little bit warmer. So I think a lot of this criticism of the plow drivers and the Department of Public Works and their ability to clear the streets, I have to tell you, I think it's misplaced. I don't like winter any more than you do. Believe me. I hate driving around in the cold weather. I understand the frustration when you can't find a place to park or there's all this snow that's now turned to ice and you can't get into a particular parking meter or whatever. I get all that frustration. I guess I just don't think it's fair to blame, okay, the folks that are driving the snow plows and the Department of Public Works. Every once in a while, when it comes to winter, Mother Nature is going to win for a period of time, and given how crummy it's been over the course of the last six, eight weeks, with one snowstorm after another and one bit of freezing cold after another, there's nowhere to go with the snow. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's, let us tee this up. Obviously, roads are in bad condition in some areas. You've got huge snow banks. It's difficult to see around. You've got to be more careful when you're pulling through intersections. Certain streets still probably aren't in very good shape at all. Is it the fault of the people, though, who clean the roads, or is this one where, you know, every once in a while Mother Nature wins, and maybe this is the case? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe there's more DPWs around the area could have done, but you know what? I think given everything that's going on, every once in a while you have to just say, there's only so much that we can do. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, here's a text. Jeff, we had a similar problem in 78, 79, and 1985 with frozen snowbanks everywhere in Milwaukee. It's not the DTPW's fault. It's the weather plus drivers who don't move their cars. Hopefully thawing this weekend will help. Winding Alderman put a sock in it. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, hello. Jeff. Compared to previous years, they did an awful job this year. In front of my house, on our street, they're four feet from the curb. And I'm really disgusted with when I'm on a main street and they haven't shoveled where the walkways are to enter it, you know, from the curb to the boulevard. Tony, let me ask you this. Why, why is the front, why do you think the front of your house, in front of your house, it's still buried? Why is it four foot? Were there cars parked there that didn't there, move? No, we, no, we're a regular street. Everybody's off the streets. What it is is uh, the the guy came down once. Usually they would make three or four swipes. Then he wouldn't come back for until the next day, and then he did two swipes, and then that was it. Right, and then they didn't catch up. Now, thanks to call. I, I wish I wish we had more time. I started this topic too late because we've got the hard out time. Because I, I'd be interested to hear. Because in general, I, I I mean I guess I just have a lot of respect for the job that the people driving the snow plows do, but. 
Maybe it's a case-by-case basis. It is different. Okay, I am out of time. We're back 12 noon tomorrow. We do this all again. Have a full show. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stay warm.